Good morning and welcome to this, the second talk in the series God on Mute. And today we're going to be thinking about that uh, expression, it seems like a brick wall. Because quite frankly, sometimes we wrestle with God in prayer and we think it is like beating our heads off a brick wall. And although there isn't a simple formula, I think perhaps when we look at Jesus and how he experienced a real time of doubt and anxiety in the garden, there may at least be some principles to draw out. But before we have the reading, we're going to have a wee bit of context. If you remember, Jesus and his disciples had come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of the Passover. And in a few days, there was going to be another very famous Jewish feast. That was the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But the context of Jerusalem was that a lot of people had heard about Jesus, this miracle worker. Some thought he was going to establish a new state. Maybe he was the Messiah to come. No one was quite sure. But one thing was certain that the chief priests and the teachers of the law didn't really like him. He was eclipsing them and therefore they needed to deal with him. So they were plotting that they wanted to have him killed. Now, they weren't going to do this themselves. They were going to get someone to do it for them. But they were pragmatic enough to know that they couldn't do it during the feast because otherwise there may well be a riot, given the fact that Jesus was a very popular figure. But then a gift dropped in their lap. One of Jesus' own disciples, Judas, came to the chief priests and the teachers of the law and said to them, I am quite content to hand him over to you. And they were so happy, they said, well, we'll give you some money for that. And so we come to the reading. The reading is taken from Mark chapter 14, verse 32 to 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Well, that first few verses are very familiar. Jesus takes his 12 disciples and he leaves the upper room and he takes a short walk over to the foot of the Mount of Olives to Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane was an oasis and Jesus therefore I guess he was struggling with what was going to come next. So he wanted to go to somewhere that was both familiar and yet away from it all. And this was a place that John tells us Jesus and his disciples knew and loved. Now, that was interesting because Judas then knew where to take the soldiers. But Jesus also felt it was a familiar place. It was very close to the Mount of Olives. And when Jesus and his disciples had been going to Bethany, it would have been a place he'd gone through. It was about 1,200 square metres, so it wasn't a very big place but Jesus took with him the 12 disciples. And when he came to the entrance of Gethsemane, he said to nine of the 12, well, you wait here. And his three inner circle, the ones that had seen Jesus transfigured, Peter, James and John, he said, come with me to the next stage. And you can see, therefore, as he's walking with them, something comes over him. And we're told that he suddenly feels struck by terror. Now, he's still with the disciples at this stage. And the Greek actually says he feels no longer at home. Now that's interesting because this was a familiar place. And yet what was happening to him, all the pressures made him feel it was an unfamiliar place. It was almost like an out-of-body experience. Now the disciples must have been quite perplexed at this stage. But he says to them, I feel surrounded by grief. It's a really strong Greek word. So much so that I almost can't breathe. It's almost as if I'm going to die. But you stay here and keep watch. 
Now, if that had been me, I would have felt, well, you need me. I, I, I need to accompany you. Something might happen. They probably even had heard some of the stories, the sedition that was going on, that Jesus might be killed. But there was something in Jesus' demeanour that made them stay there. Because this next bit Jesus needed to do on his own. Let's hear the next reading. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so Jesus, we're told, falls to the ground. Now, it's a wee bit lost in our translation in Greek. He does this repeatedly. So it's not as if he throws himself down once, but he's in such turmoil. He was honest. He was wrestling with God and he threw himself on the ground repeatedly. And remember, the disciples were only some meters away. So they witnessed this. This was like the director's cut in a movie. They could see this happening, but they'd been told to stay where they were. Now, it's interesting that he says in his first prayer, Father, if this is possible, take away this cup of suffering from me. If you remember back in the Old Testament, the three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they said, God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, he is still God. And that's the same belief that Jesus had. He said, Father, if it is possible, my human desire is I don't want to go through this. Please take this away if it's possible. And he calls out to God in his Aramaic tongue, Abba, which is not quite daddy. It's a sort of term that an 80 year old could use of his father or her father and a child could use. It's a real familiar, uh, sensitive, um, close term, a term of affection. And then he also uses the Greek term pater. So obviously Jesus was recognizing that this was God of the Jews and the Gentiles alike. And only God could change what Jesus was beginning to wrestle with, his future. Let's hear what happens next. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. After this anxiety, after this wrestling with God, Jesus is still struggling. He's not sure what the answer is. So perhaps he goes to find his friends simply to see if they could help him. But when he goes, he finds them sleeping. Now, he's very anxious, obviously, and he wakens Simon up and you can see this frustration in him. You know, he recognizes that Simon's human. And yet at the same time, he says, Simon, you're a friend of mine. You've seen me in three years. You know what I'm called to do. Could you not even have given me a few moments of your time? And then it's as though he recognizes that human flesh is frail. But he puts a challenge back to them. Before he goes back to pray for the second time, he says, I want you to stay here. I want you to be alert I want you to be on the guard. Remember, nine disciples were outside so they could maybe see soldiers coming first. And then this was like an inner guard. And he said to the three disciples led by Peter, please stay awake and protect me. Because obviously Jesus was going back to wrestle with God even more. He hadn't got the answer yet. Let's hear what happens next. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. He came back again and find them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. 
they did not know what to say to him. So Jesus goes off and prays again. Now, Mark actually doesn't tell us the substance of the prayer. But if we go to Matthew, Matthew actually says that something has actually happened here. The first time Jesus prays, he says, if this is possible, because he's still struggling with God. He's not quite sure what what's going to happen, but he's very honest. And he said, I really don't want this to happen. So if it's possible, please take it away from me. But there's a change here. Jesus now says, if this is not possible. So he's moved beyond, as a human, simply saying, this is what I want, to a recognition that that might not be what God wants. And he's coming to a realisation, well, you know, if this isn't possible, then help me get in step with your will. Help me learn what it is that you want from me. So this was a really big step from wrestling and being honest to listening to God and really trying to get in step with the will of God. Once again, Jesus returns to his disciples. Remember, he'd said, stay, stay awake, stay vigilant, look out for me. I don't know how long has passed. It could be minutes, it could be hours. Jesus was obviously within the sight of the disciples, but he went back. Now, this is interesting, because unlike the last time when Jesus admonished Simon, said, could you not stay awake? The disciples obviously waken and they're absolutely embarrassed because this is the second time that they've let Jesus down. They promised to be awake, but their eyes were heavy. It's interesting that nothing's recorded in Mark uh, by way of admonishment that Jesus didn't actually say anything to them. Maybe he rolled his eyes, but he went back a third time. And I guess he probably said to them, please, can you do it for me this time? Can you just keep my back? Let's hear what happened next. Returning the third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. So Jesus goes off for the third time and we don't know from Mark what he prayed, but Matthew says he prayed the same thing. So this was Jesus trying to say, well, you know, if this is not going to happen, if the cup's not going to go away from me, what is it that you want me to do? And I guess in that time it moved away from him telling God stuff to him conversing with God to just listening to God and trying to discern the will of his father. So he'd come, if you like, full circle from his human emotion, his desire, his passion to do God's will, but wrestling that that may well have been painful to saying, well, actually, if this stuff has to happen, what, how am I going to deal with it? What's going to happen next? So something happens in that next engagement that we're not privy to. But obviously Jesus feels that the time spent with God is finished. And we're told that he gets up and he goes back and once again he finds the disciples asleep. Now it's interesting because some commentators are saying that when he talks to them and says, oh I see you're asleep again, it's sort of sarcasm or irony. But I actually don't read that into the text. I read that just the same way that Jesus had wrestled with his father until he eventually came to the answer that this was going to happen, that God was going to go with him through the process. He came to this realization again that, you know, people are human. People are frail. He himself went into that first engagement with the father with all his human emotions and frailties on show. And he comes back at the end of this engagement and realizes that these friends of his, the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. And then it's though the hour comes. 
And he says, right, that's it. Enough of sleep, enough of talking. The time has come for me to be betrayed. And I can just imagine all the stuff over three years where Jesus talked, sometimes a bit ambiguously, sometimes a bit mysteriously, about the Son of Man having to be offered and sacrificed and die. None of them actually realised that was going to happen. They'd heard all the stories around Jerusalem that he was going to be killed. But still they had hope beyond hope that this man they'd come to know and love over three years, that there was another way. But there was something in what he said, let's get up because I am going to be betrayed. Now we've been gifted in that for a few short moments we've been taken into the inner circle. We, like the three, witness the agony. We witness Jesus having that out-of-body experience, feeling no longer at home. And I suppose when you think, have there been times in our lives when something has happened and even though we're in very familiar circumstances, it's as though we don't know what to do. And on our initial prayer is really a human prayer, and it should be that human prayer. I don't know what to do. I really don't want this to happen. Take me out of here. All those things. We shouldn't be embarrassed. We shouldn't be embarrassed to wrestle with God. Because once we realise that prayer is not the last thing to do, but it's the first thing to do, it should be as natural as picking up the phone, texting, using WhatsApp to a friend. We don't always do that when there's nothing else to do. We do it because we want to continue to grow in a relationship. That's what prayer is about. It changes us, the prayer. And therefore, we should, like Jesus, be honest in talking to God. Tell him everything. But then what happens is, rather than just us talking to God or at God, it becomes a conversation where God has something to say and we begin to listen. And it becomes a two-way thing. We're looking for light. We're looking to say, how are we brought into step with your will? Just like Jesus said, Father, now that this is not going to be possible, how do I get through all of this stuff? And finally, it comes down to listening to God. And that is discerning. Sometimes we need others. Maybe that's why Jesus came back to talk to his disciples. So we shouldn't think we're going through this on our own. For not only is God with us, but the fellowship of believers is standing with us as well. And once Jesus listened to God, something else needed to happen. He needed to take action. He needed to take responsibility. He needed not only to be in step with God, but to take a step for God. So just thinking back over this very familiar story, I guess, what's the lessons for us? Well, it's that prayer shouldn't be the last resort. Yes, sometimes it does feel as if we're banging our heads off that brick wall, just like Jesus must have felt. But it's that realisation that although God can do anything, he doesn't always do the things that we ask for. Now, that doesn't mean the prayer isn't answered, because I don't believe there is such a thing as unanswered prayer. I think God answers our prayers, but not necessarily in the way that we ask. And that that wrestling, that engagement, that conversation, moving from talking at God to talking with God to simply listening to God, it's a hard thing. But when we get to that walking along the road with God, we realise that no matter what happens, no matter what cup of suffering that's put before us, that God is able to go through it with us. Thanks for listening and God bless. Thanks, Michael, for leading us through those scriptures and for um, helping us grasp a little bit more about um, the Garden of Gethsemane or, as one songwriter called it, the Garden of Tears because it is an experience that will not be far from any of us. I'm sure many of us have been in a Gethsemane at some point 
I have no doubt at all that we'll visit it again. So Michelle's going to lead us in a song now. Uh, it's called The Servant King. And it picks up that phrase, the Garden of Tears. There in the Garden of Tears, my heavy load he chose to bear. His heart with sorrow was torn. Yet not my will, but yours, he said. Let's sing this together and allow this song uh, to just capture the spirit of what we've been learning about this morning. 